have your Bible this morning, I'd love you to open up to Mark chapter 1. The Gospel writer of Mark is very interested in the concept of action. He gets right into the story immediately. He wants everybody to know who Jesus is. In fact, so much so that he skips right over the virgin birth. And before the end of chapter 1, you're knee-deep into Jesus' ministry. Uh, there's 39 times in the shortest gospel of Mark that he uses a phrase similar to immediately or at once. It's almost as if Mark is trying to rush us through Jesus' ministry to get us to the cross. See, for Mark, the cross is the high point of his gospel. When finally we know why Jesus came and how we can enter into the kingdom of God that Jesus has been proclaiming. And so you'd think that in a gospel like Mark's, where he's all about action and excitement, it's fast-paced and upbeat, that Mark might fail to realize the thing that actually keeps Jesus going. But even for all of Mark's at once and immediately and right away, he also records for us 18 different times when Jesus actually retreats from the crowds, moves away from the hubbub, the busyness, and the noise to go and spend time with his Father in silence and in solitude. Mark chapter 1, before Jesus even begins his public ministry, we find these words starting in verse 9. It says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was, in the wild, uh, he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Uh, a couple of things that I think are interesting to point out. Uh, the first has nothing to do with our sermon, but uh, I actually think it's one of the messages we often hear from God when we actually take the time to be still, to be silent before him, uh, to actually engage with him in solitude. Before Jesus does anything, his father comes to him and says, This is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. God, before Jesus does anything at all, reminds him that he's loved and that he's proud of him. I love that. Now, then the very next thing that happens, though, before Jesus begins his public ministry, is he goes away for 40 days out into the wilderness, like where nobody's at, all right? This isn't like the wilderness of like downtown GR, all right? This is like the wilderness of I don't even know what because we don't even have deserts around here. But he's out there with nobody around him, just the wild animals. I grew up camping. I don't know about you, but like that's what camping always felt like for me, okay? Dad, don't make me sleep in the tent. The bear might get me, right? And he's out there engaging with his father, getting himself ready for what's about to come. Now, we don't even get through the end of this chapter 
Jesus is already into his ministry and at the very beginning of his ministry before he starts and then at the, also at the beginning, the same thing happens again. Look with me in verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus has just healed a bunch of people in his hometown. He says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby village so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I also think that it's interesting in this passage that Jesus has just done a lot of healings and people are pretty stoked about that. And Jesus knows that he's got work to do and so to get himself ready for the work that God has to to hear what God is calling him to do next. Jesus gets up early. He goes away to a solitary place, to a place of stillness and quiet where he's alone and he can spend time sitting in God's presence. And uh, the disciples finally find him like, dude, everybody's looking for you, man. Like, you're like popular. Like, everybody like wants to be with you and like be around you. Why? Well, because he had just been healing a lot of folks. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, oh, we should go back then. I should do more of that. He, he says, well, we should go on to the next town because I'm actually here to, to talk about this kingdom that I'm bringing. You see, I think so often we, we find ourselves falling in love with Jesus when he does like great things for us. We're like, ooh, I'll give me more of that, Jesus. And Jesus is like, look, I'm trying to call you into something greater. But the way that Jesus knew that, right, that he didn't begin to read his own press, even though if anybody can and should, Jesus could and should, but he goes to the Father and he listens. He says, let me spend time with you. A discipline that Jesus continued to curate throughout his life. In fact, we see this not just before he started ministry, not just during his ministry, but we also see it at the end of his ministry. Flip over with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Jesus is about to head to the cross. It's actually the night before he's going to be crucified. He's just spent the evening with his disciples celebrating the Passover. He's instituted the practice of communion, the Last Supper with them, the remembrance of his body and blood, which is going to be broken and poured out for them. They don't even fully get it at this point because the crucifixion hasn't happened yet. And Jesus then says after this, let's go and pray. Let's go to this garden, to this quiet place, this solitary place. And, and he winds up praying through the night until the Roman guards come alongside with Judas to catch him. Verse 32, it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father. Abba is this uh, term of endearment. It's kind of like saying Daddy. Daddy. If it's possible, uh, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Jesus winds up doing this on, on three different occasions. In fact, he prays through the night, an opportunity to spend time. You see, Jesus has a pattern in his life where he finds space and place to break away from the busyness, from the craziness, from the difficulty of life, 
from all the different things and expectations that are pressing in on him, all the different ways that he could easily be distracted, and he goes and he finds space to be with God. Wouldn't it be awesome in some ways? I mean, like, we kind of romanticize the past, don't we? Like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if, like, we grew up, like, back in the, you know, 50s, you know, like, leave it to beaver, and, like, everything was so much more simple then, or, you know, oh, what if it was back in, like, the 1700s, you know, like, all you had to do was go and work the field, and then you had, like, the whole evening, you know, no Facebook, no phone, you know, if you wanted to get in touch with somebody, I don't know what you did, yeah, you suppose you had to go find them or something, but, you know, like, like we always romanticize the past of, like, we can go back to Jesus' time and kind of feel the same way. Oh, it was great, such strong community, and you just kind of lived around family and friends in these smaller areas. And it was just aw- doesn't matter what time you live in, there's always the potential to get distracted, to find things that are going to pull us away or keep us busy, right? And that's kind of our word for, you know, <laughs> the last decade or two. How you doing? Oh, I'm good, busy. <laughs> right? I mean, like, we all say that. I, I actually, I try not to say it anymore uh, because it uh, just annoys me. Not if you say it to me, like, I won't be annoyed at you. But, like, I'm like, like, everybody's busy, right? Like, it's just, it kind of became the thing that I said anytime somebody asked me how I was doing. How you doing? Oh, good. Busy. As though maybe that makes me important or something. I don't know. Now I try to say, oh, I'm good. Life's full. <laughs> I got four kids. Life is full. Trust me. It's very full, right? But, the truth is, it doesn't matter what era you live in, it always requires that we take time to separate ourselves from the pressing needs to do what is most important. And Jesus modeled this for us. Uh, we're in a series right now called Filters. Right? We're talking about all the filters that we kind of place on our lives, right, to make us look a certain way to everybody else. We see this in social media all the time. Uh, but there is a filter that Jesus wishes to place on us. It's the filter of the image of himself. (laughs) And that actually comes, though, when we submit ourselves to what Christ wants to do in obedience. And that filter is often painful, right? Because it's Jesus chipping away at different areas of our life to make us look more and more like him. But that's what we desire. We know that spiritual formation is what's actually going to help us get there, and the spiritual disciplines are what actually form us. And so today we're talking about the discipline of silence. You're like, oh, well, I'm glad that the time of silence I was able to read something up on the screen. Yeah, but we're still going to practice it in a little bit. All right? So (laughs) hang on to your britches because it's about to get awkward up in here. Like, And that's a good thing. Because in our society, and quite honestly, I do think that it's easy to romanticize previous eras, right? when it comes to this particular discipline? Because there's so much noise in our lives. Noise everywhere. And and not only is there noise everywhere, but we've actually began uh, to change the actual chemistry of our brains to crave that noise. I mean, that's what Facebook and Insta and Twitter and all these different things actually are doing. They're creating, recreating our brains. Uh, There was just a study that came out about how our brains are actually changing based on the amount of screen time that kids have, right? Because that's the easy thing to kind of like, just like if you've got kids like, oh man, I'm tired, been a long day, Uh, here's a screen, here's my phone, 
Here's the iPad. It's just really, look, I'm a, a father of four. I get it, right? Sometimes like just, you can have screen time. I need, like, I need, I need no kid time, all right? And, and, and that, that happens, but it's not just happening for kids. I think it's happening for all of us. I know. I know when I'm bored or restless, like I want to pull out my phone and scroll through my Insta feed or my Facebook feed, right? Or I'm going to look at something on ESPN, try to find an article to read, something that's going to give me a little hit of dopamine, something that's going to kind of make me not have to sit in that moment of stillness. I think that's true of all of us. And so what we need to do is become people who are actually willing to engage with God in silence and solitude. Uh, I I think that uh, it's kind of like getting a massage. Have you ever had like a long massage? Like a really good massage, especially like after maybe you've, uh, you know, had a, a really long workout like the day before? I haven't. <laughs> I've never gotten one, but everybody that gets one tells me how amazing they are, right? Because you're like tight and things are sore and then the massage happens and it's like amazing and you're loose and you got energy and you just feel great. Now, that's actually what silence and solitude actually does for our souls. You see, when we can learn to unplug and disconnect and actually sit with God at first, it can feel a little uncomfortable, all right, I've, my, my uh, I don't know what she is. I guess she's my cousin. I will always call her my niece because she's younger. But she does, like, massage stuff. But when she starts working on you, like, you're like, ow, like, I, enough. Like, uh, like, I'm a wuss anyway. Like, I like the, like, the little dainty massage. But, like, she's like, rrr, rrr, and she's like, oh, this isn't even deep tissue. You want me to do that? I'm like, no. Like, I, I can barely handle what you're doing right now. But you do feel amazing afterwards, don't you? You see, that, that's exactly what silence and solitude often does for us as well. Um, the reason that I think this happens is because when we actually sit before God in silence and solitude, God is given the space to speak to us. And we begin to be reminded of things that, that we've needed to hear for days and weeks and months. Be reminded that God loves you. Just like he said about Jesus before Jesus had done anything for him. That he's well pleased with you. Just like he said to Jesus before Jesus had done anything for him. You see, we need these spaces and places so that God can begin to speak those truths into our lives. Right? Food tastes better. Right? You breathe more deeply. Colors seem more vibrant. That's how I always feel after I spend some time at the Hermitage. They're cliches, right? But there's a reason that cliches are cliches, <laughs> right? Because they're mostly true. And that's exactly what it is when we engage with God. Now, uh, Jesus understood this. So it wasn't just something that Jesus did himself. Flip over to Mark chapter 6, the last passage I want us to look at this morning. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Uh, This is right after Jesus has sent the 12 out on kind of their first ministry experience, right? 
and they saw God move in powerful ways through them as they obeyed Jesus, and now they come back and they're so stoked to like get together and talk about what they've accomplished and what God did through them. And verse 30, it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Like they're pumped up. Then, verse 31, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. You see, uh, when I'm silent, I can hear God tell me that I'm loved and when I'm still, I can experience his embrace and his acceptance of me as his son. When I'm alone with him, I don't have to do anything to be loved. I can just be with all my warts and failures and disappointments. And Jesus embraces me. Uh, Max is my youngest son. And Max is like a combination of nitro and glycerin which is also uh, what you make dynamite with, right? Dude's like an explosion of energy and movement. Like this is Max 24-7 all the time. Is there a picture of him up there? Yeah. Okay, that's Max, all right? Literally, I think every family picture we have, we have to take three or four and where he makes a face something like that and then we have to say, all right, dude, now give us one good one. So most of our family pictures is Max looking like that. Dude is loud, right? He's busy, he's hilarious, and he's awesome. And we always tell people, like, he doesn't need food or oxygen to survive. He just needs an audience, all right? That, that's, that's Max. Now, uh, we love all this about him, but one thing that drives Brendan and I crazy is dude cannot sit still, all right? He just can't sit still, which means that he's constantly falling off chairs, all right? Like, we're trying to eat, and he's, like, on the floor, and we don't even know how it happened. Like, the, that's not the worst, though. The, the worst is that he won't let us hold him. Like if you're a parent, like there is nothing better, especially when your kids are little, than holding one of your kids to snuggle with them. All right, like, it's like the greatest thing. And Max can't stand it. He's like, he's like a little like wiggle bug. So the greatest time with Max is when he's just waking up. When he's just waking up, he's like this little cuddle bug. And he'll nuzzle in with you, and he won't move, and he'll just be still, and you can hold him. It's like pure bliss. It's what we long for. It's amazing. And I think that that's exactly what God desires from us. Uh, you see, I think that we're often so much like Max in our relationship with God, like we're busy, and we got this to do, and that to do, and we got to go here, and God, we need to do this thing, and even when we go to spend time with God, a lot of times it's like, well, I, I, God, I got to get this, and do this, and do this, and do this, and I'm checking off my boxes, and really, I just want to get on to the next thing. I find this all the time when I'm praying, and my mind goes to that place, and it goes to this place, and oh, I, I got to remember I need to do that, and did anybody like my post, and don't forget to send that text out to Jordan, and Oh, what's that? And, I know, and I'm like, oh, Lord, like, I know five minutes ago I said I was going to be with you. And I'm everywhere else. And God's like, I just want to hold you. Like, I just want to be with you. Like, that's what fathers, good fathers, love to be able to do. God wants to be with you 
like Brenda and I want to be with Max. To look you in the eyes and tell you how proud he is of you. To hold you and tell you that he loves you. To speak truth to you. To remind you of your worth and identity. Just to be with you. Like he absolutely loves it. And when we learn to unplug and sit with him, walk slowly with him, go on adventures with him, try new things with him, laugh and cry with him, we begin to learn just how amazing he actually is. Um, Richard Foster says this. He says, The purpose of silence and solitude is to be able to see and hear. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take five minutes of silence. So I want to walk us through this just a little bit, though. So since you're all sitting, I got a chair here. And I'm going to help you move into this space. So there's going to be a timer up on the screen in just a minute that's going to count down five minutes. So if you freak out and think that I forgot how long it was, like, you'll know it's up there. And what I'd like you to do, too, is I'm going to give you a word to think about, all right? Uh, the word is love. Uh, a word often helps us when our mind begins to wander, and it will. Yours will absolutely wander to things that you need to do later, maybe some stuff that's going on right now, maybe an anxiety or something that you brought in with you, okay? And when that happens, just allow your mind to go back to that word, love, that you are loved by God as you sit with him. The purpose of this time is to simply be in his presence and experience his love. My mentor always reminds me whenever I go away to the hermitage, but this is absolutely applicable to even times of silence and solitude. He always says this, expect nothing, receive anything. Expect nothing, receive anything. So what I'd like you to do right now is go ahead and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to take both feet and plant them on the floor. Rest your hands on your knees or thighs. Begin to allow yourself to feel the weight of your feet in the floor. Relax your legs, your hips, your chest and your shoulders. Allow them to sink into a natural position Relax your neck. Begin to think on that word and enter into the presence of God. In silence, allowing him to speak whatever he wishes into your heart right now.
going to slowly begin to come back. For some of you, that means waking up. How was that? Is it hard? You're like, no. Yes, it's hard for me. Did your minds wander? Within 30 seconds, probably less, like 15 seconds, I was thinking, all right, now what am I supposed to say after this, Lord? And God, am I supposed to do that? And then I started thinking about our small group later on this evening and was thinking about last week's message. And, and I kept using that word to come back, just be reminded I'm here with God. No expectation, willing to receive anything. The one thing in that time that I felt like God speak to me was... Um, I've got this covered. I'm talking to people right now. That's what I felt like he was saying. So maybe you were one of those folks he was talking to. <laughs> Silence and solitude is a gift that God desires that we would give to ourselves. Because it's in those places and moments that we actually are able to listen to the voice of God and begin to hear what he wishes to say to us so that we can go out and do the things that he's called us to do. Silence and solitude is not where Jesus stayed forever. There were moments throughout his life that allowed him to stay connected to his heavenly father. And that's what God desires for us. It's what I want our church to be. A church that is not only unafraid of the confession that happens in community, like we talked about last week, but also spaces of silence and solitude where we can actually go and be with God and God can speak to us because we're quiet enough to actually listen. Our culture is doing everything it can, for better, for worse, for worse, to keep us occupied and to keep us busy. But our culture is not that different from any other culture that history has ever experienced. That's true everywhere. And so the discipline of silence helps us pull away from that into those places to be with God. Now, uh, I want to give you guys some steps that we can take into silence and solitude just as we end. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. So if you're a person that likes to take notes, you're probably not going to have enough time to write it down. So if you want to pull out your phone, take pictures of the screen, you can do that. Otherwise, you can email me and I'll send it on to you. But these are just some very practical ways that we can all begin to practice solitude, silence, and stillness in our daily lives. So the first one is daily, okay? Taking advantage of the little solitudes that fill our day. Uh, I found this on a website. I'm pretty sure it comes from Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. Um, but basically, there's four things. Take those early morning moments in bed before the family awakens. I found myself doing that this morning. I'm not usually the morning routine guy. Brenda is. 
I do the night routine. Brenda gets up in the morning. I don't like mornings. I think if Jesus wanted me to see a sunrise, he would have made it about noon. Uh, that's just my own. But this morning I was up early, and uh, uh, I took just those few brief moments in bed laying there to engage with God. Take that morning cup of coffee before beginning the work of the day. Uh, this is an interesting one. Bumper-to-bumper traffic during the freeway rush hour. We don't have too much of that in GR yet, but it's getting worse. Take those tiny snatches of time that are often lost and use those as those daily moments of small solitude, right? Little solitudes. Uh, the next one is weekly. Learning to develop a weekly rhythm, so a quiet place designed for silence and solitude, all right? So this could be a, a special corner of a room somewhere in your home. Could be a special chair that you have that you like to sit in. Maybe it's a special room, but find a weekly place, space, that you can kind of designate as your solitude space, your quiet place, all right? Monthly. Find places outside of the home to withdraw for three to four hours for the purpose of reorienting your life goals around Jesus. So every month, find a space of three to four hours. You're like, oh, that should be easy. It's not. It's hard, okay? You very rarely have three to four hours where you can go away and just sit with Jesus. But find that time monthly, a spot in a park, could be a church sanctuary, uh, a, I love this, a storage closet somewhere, all right? Uh, a retreat center. Um, find that place that monthly you can get away to and reorient your life and your goals around Jesus. Then yearly, okay? This I'm going to say one to four times a year. Take a full 24 to 36 hours for silence, solitude, and stillness. I didn't mean to say 36. I meant to say one to three days. <laughs> that's actually what I meant to say. 36 hours, that's like a day and a half. All right, that's fine. Uh, 24 hours, so like a day to three days, where you can actually go to a retreat center like the Hermitage. Uh, the Hermitage, by the way, is like, it's my little jewel in the world. Uh, it's an old barn, quite honestly, built in like the 1900s that... Um, they turned into this hodgepodge mishmash of rooms where you have to like share a bathroom, uh, um, not at the same time, but you share a bathroom with whoever else is there. You have your own little room. It's just got this little bed and a little desk and that's it. It's sparse, but it's a place of silence. And uh, they've got about 40 acres and so like when it's not freezing cold and tons of snow, you can go for walks with God. They've got a little uh, prayer chapel in different places, but it's literally a time of silence. I, I try to get there a couple of times a year uh, for a couple of days usually at, at, a, at a time. And uh, it's weird because, like I said, you eat in silence. Like, you don't talk to people. You might, like, nod and give them a little smile, but it's amazing. Uh, and it's difficult, but it's always like that deep tissue massage. You walk away like, I feel so much better. So um, go to retreat center, uh, camp or rent a cottage to get away. For I've done that before. I've gone off to a friend's cottage for a couple of days. Um, take a hike into a state or national park, but make sure you actually know how to hike <laughs> so you don't get lost, okay? Because um, that would definitely be not a good thing. So uh, there's an author. Her name's uh, Felina Hertz, 
And I love this, and I would just want to simply end with this quote. Church, to the extent we are transformed, the world is transformed. Let's be that together. A group of Christians that's willing to practice disciplines that will help us become more like Jesus. God, we want to be a place, a people that knows you. And that can quiet ourselves long enough to hear your still, small voice speak truth, love, direction into our lives that we might know you, love you, and obey you for your kingdom, for your sake, for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. Guys, have a great rest of your morning, and let's practice some solitude this week.